want to thank Beth for filling in last week. Uh, Jan and I had the, uh, the ability to take a week off, and it just so happened it was our 46th anniversary during that week. So we had a week up in Ludington, and I appreciate um, Beth uh, filling in at uh, sort of last minute, but uh, she always does a great job, so thank you for doing that for us. I am going to be um, uh, out of town next weekend as well. Uh, Tammy Bowman will be here. Uh, you've heard her preach before, and um, she'll be here to, uh, to share the, the God's Word with you next week. And then I'll be back, and we're going to start a new series in September um, called Seven Critical Life Questions. And the series really is built around the story of Joseph in the Old Testament. So if you want to dig into the last uh, portion of uh, the book of Genesis, first book in the Bible, start with about chapter 38, and we're going to go right through the end of the book in that story uh, line of Joseph. Or if you haven't read Genesis in a while, you could start at chapter 1, go on through the whole book. It's a great book and lots of good stories. I love to preach in the Old Testament. Uh, those stories have always had a great impact on my life. There's so much to teach us even in the modern day world that we live in. And so uh, we'll start that uh, in a couple of weeks. Today we're finishing this uh, series called Transformed by Truth, and we've been in the book of 2 Peter in the New Testament. And today is the last of the four messages in this series. If you haven't been able to hear the other ones, they kind of build on each other a little bit. You can go to the podcast that's on the website, and you can listen to them, or uh, Marie can get you a printed copy if that is easier for you. But today we're in chapter 3 of 2 Peter, this short little book that has so much uh, packed into it. 2 Peter is a manual for transformation. Uh, it's a how-to guide for holy living. It be begins with a promise that in Christ we have all that we need for life and for godliness. And through Christ we can participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of life caused by our sinful desires. And Peter then tells us what behaviors and what attitudes uh, that we can add to our daily lives. Remember, we talked about that a few weeks ago. And to avoid uh, false teachers, we talked about that a uh, week before last. People who distort the truth and lead us astray. And throughout this small little book, there is a focus on holy living. Well, he begins this final chapter by saying in verse 1, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I have written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. Wholesome thinking. The first stage of the battle for holy living takes place right here between our ears. And we win the battle, first of all, by learning to think right. I want to exp uh, emphasize, though, that wholesome thinking is not what we used to call positive thinking in the 70s. The phrase Peter uses means something different than that. It's a phrase that other writers and philosophers have also used, Plato among them, and it means literally pure reason. This uh, is reason that is unaffected by the seductive influences of our senses. 
when Peter says wholesome thinking, he's not talking about Pollyanna thinking. He's not saying that we should pretend it's still the 70s and we live in a leave-it-to-beaver world. He's referring to accurate thinking, seeing the world objectively as it really is, not subjectively as our emotions might dictate. Now, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us how to think, how to develop wholesome thoughts. And wholesome thoughts lead, he says, to right thinking, which ultimately leads us, ultimately leads us to a wholesome world, biblical worldview. Now, Norman Vincent Peale, the father of positive thinking, used to say, change your thoughts and you change your world. In order to live in this world as God intended us to do, we need to understand the world and we need to have a wholesome biblical worldview. I read the story of a Christian young man from the Middle East who grew up viewing America as something of a paradise. A Christian nation with big churches and Christian bookstores and Christian radio stations where people sat around listening to Christian music all day. He really thought that almost everyone in the United States was a believer. And he dreamed of how wonderful it would be to live in America. At the age of 18, his dream came true. He was accepted at the University of Oklahoma. And of course, he thought he knew all about Oklahoma because he had watched a lot of movies on television. He understood people to live in teepees and ride horses and sleep by the campfire. Imagine his surprise when he arrived in Oklahoma to discover that these people lived in homes. They had all the technological advances of the modern world. And imagine his surprise when he discovered that not everybody in the United States was a believer. He was shocked to see R-rated movies on tele and see television ads with scantily clad women. The rampant consumption of tobacco and alcohol just blew him away. His view of life in the United States was neither consistent with his worldview, nor was it accurate. And many of us go through life with the same kind of misconceptions about the world that we live in. And this is why Peter challenges us to develop wholesome thinking, to learn to think rightly about the world. So today, I'm going to invite you to look at four ways to do just that. First of all, let the word of God shape your thoughts. Verse 2 says, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. Now the phrase holy prophets refers to the Old Testament. The command given by our Lord and Savior refers to the oral tradition of Jesus' teaching that was already widely circulating among the new believers in Christ, as well as the letters of Paul and probably the Gospel of Mark, the earliest written gospel. Peter is saying, in effect, do you want to develop wholesome thoughts? Let these words shape your thoughts. Learn to think like the prophets thought. Look at life the way Jesus taught us to. Live the way the apostles teach us to live. And what the Word of God, the Bible, says about the world is different than what the world says about itself. Just consider what it says about religion. The world teaches us 
that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. The Bible teaches us that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is salvation in none other. The world teaches that truth changes from culture to culture and from generation to generation. The Bible teaches that truth transcends time and space and is determined by God, not by popular opinion. The world teaches that what's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. The Bible teaches that we are, equal, we are equally responsible and subject to the law of God. In other areas, the, the world teaches don't get mad, get even. And the Bible teaches us to forgive our enemies, do good to those who harm us. The world teaches look out for number one. In other words, look out for yourself. The Bible teaches us to look out for those who can't look out for themselves. You see, the Word of God teaches us how to view the world, how to understand the difference between right and wrong, good and bad, truth and error. It teaches us how to become wholesome thinkers. And therefore, Peter says, remember the words of the prophets and remember the teachings of Jesus. Let the Word of God Shape your thoughts. The second way to develop a wholesome worldview is to be skeptical about the skeptics. Look at verses 3 and 4. First of all, Peter says, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming that he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. There are lots of people who believe that Christians, for the most part, aren't very intellectual. And they're prone to follow their faith blindly. I have a brother-in-law just like that, that Christians aren't very intellectual people, that non-believers are more objective about things in life. There are those who believe that non-Christians base their views on logical, reasonable, defensible facts, and followers of Jesus just tend to follow their emotions and their prejudices. But the reality is both arguments could apply to Christians and non-Christians at times. Peter is saying that there will always be those who will scoff at the claims of Christianity. Peter is saying that um, in particular the claim of Jesus that he comes back to earth a second time has always been mocked. So he says we need to re recognize scoffers for who they are. They are skeptics and if matters of faith don't conform to their particular views they pass it all off as irrelevant. The problem is that according to the world's way of thinking, skeptics are given a lot of credibility, aren't they? People think they seem to know what they're talking about. We tend to believe the skeptics and the cynics and the critics, and we take what they say at face value. There are so many examples of this. We tend to give more credibility to the reviewer who doesn't like a particular book or a movie or a restaurant, don't we? We tend to give more credibility 
to the political pundit who attacks a political party rather than supporting them. We tend to listen to people who have criticisms to make of people or organizations. For some reason, we're quick to believe the negative. That's human nature. And scoffers have a way of capitalizing on negativism. They have a way of ridiculing hope, detesting anything that doesn't support the status quo. And yet, if you if, if you were true to truly listen, you find that what the critics have to say is often less than the whole truth. Scoffers and cynics have an uncanny, uncanny ability to get public opinion on their side. But we need to remember that very often they are speaking from very little knowledge and a lot of opinion. We need to remember that when we hear them ridicule another person, the ch- the church they belong to, or even the promises of Christ, to take it at face value. Peter uses an interesting phrase here. He says they deliberately forget the truth. They ignore that small voice inside of them that's calling them to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. They deliberately resist the voice of God, and their rejection is not the result of honest intellectual inquiry, but as Peter states, it's the result of following their own evil desires. To develop a wholesome worldview, a biblical worldview, we need to learn to take, uh, not to take scoffers and critics too seriously. Don't give their criticisms too much credibility, because chances are they don't give what they say uh, too much thought before it comes spewing out of their mouth. Now, the third point here is to develop a wholesome uh, worldview uh, we need to see every day as a gift, a gift of mercy. Look at verses 8 and 9. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Then down to verse 15. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. The promise Peter refers to is the second coming of Christ. He's saying that God isn't slow. He's patient. And he's giving us all one more day. Have you ever wondered why many people convert to Christianity every day? I don't know what the global statistics are, but in Africa alone, committed Christians, even 15 or 20 years ago, were increasing at the rate of 16,000 a day. That's adult conversions. The Christian population in six African countries alone account for nearly one quarter of the global Christian population, or will in the next uh, 20 or 30 years. On this one continent alone, every day that Jesus waits changes the eternal destiny of thousands of souls. Every single day is a gift of mercy, not just for people in Africa, but for us as well. God has given us all one more day 
so that we will have one more chance to praise him, one more chance to serve him, one more chance to accomplish good for the purpose of his kingdom and for the glory of his name. Now think about that. You and I have today. We can do something great for God. Some of us might say, but you don't know how it is. I've already squandered a lifetime. I've wasted so many good opportunities that have come my way. Well, maybe that's true, but God has given us today. Today, we can do something good for the glory of God. Keep in mind that God is patient with us. He keeps extending the calendar one more day to give each of us the opportunity to make things right in our life that we need to make right. One more day. But there will come a day when we won't have any chances left. The Bible says that the number of our days are ordered by the Lord. One day we won't have another chance to make amends or to serve him or to do what he's called us to do. That's why today is so important. And no matter how lost or how hopeless we think another person may be, how badly we might wish that other person off this planet, we need to remember that God has extended the calendar of mercy one more day for that that person as well. And so should we. No matter how many times a person may have disappointed us, keep that door of mercy open one more day. See, every day that we are alive is a gift of mercy from God to us. Every opportunity we have to open the doors of this church to reach those who are lost and without Christ is giving somebody one more chance at eternity. Every chance we have to give, the cause, give to the cause of Christ is one more chance to extend hope to another person somewhere in the world. Our calling is to share the gift of mercy with others, to extend God's mercy to the rest of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the wisdom and instruction we have in your word. We know that Peter wrote this letter so that believers could learn to think in wholesome ways, so that we could develop the purity of thought and the right way of thinking necessary for us to act and react in real life. So in order to live in this world, we need to understand it not just as it's presented to us in the newspaper or on television, but to see the world as God sees it, and that is only revealed to us in Scripture. The source of truth we have is the Bible, the Word of God. And it is this book that shapes our thoughts. God, thank you that your Word is our shield, our support, our rock, our anchor of our soul on which we are secure in our faith. Thank you that you have moved holy people of God, like the Apostle Peter, to instruct and to guide and to warn us and to teach us. And I pray that day by day you would bring to our remembrance the things that we have learned from the writings of this book and then guide us into all truth. And we pray this in Jesus' name.